There it is. Woo. It's very loud. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> uh, how's everybody? It's Palm Sunday. Yay. Um, all right. So uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for a beautiful sunrise this morning. Father, thank you for Fruta. Thank you for this beautiful place where we live. Thank you for the change of the seasons, the green on the trees, the green on the grass, the sound of the birds. Thank you. Thank you for spring. Thank you that we get to get together today, that we get to gather in your name, that we get to sing, that we get to worship, that we get to dive into your word. Father, and that's got your word open in front of us. We're going to read through these passages. We just please ask that you, that you bless this time together, that you open your heart and open your wisdom to us, that we could draw closer to you. We ask all of that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Amen. Right, uh, announcements. Uh, we've got uh, food bank coming up on April 9th and 10th. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, watched the news at all, but um, yesterday, the, the military in Myanmar actually cracked down on the protesters. There was over 100 people killed um, yesterday. You know, we had um, Ray uh, come and talk to us a few weeks ago. Um, and on that note, I said we're, we're, we're serious about taking on this missions thing and, and, and making it happen. Um, and if anybody wants to donate specifically to missions, and we're still working out how the, the church is going to contribute to foreign and domestic missions um, as, a, as a church, but if you want to contribute specifically to Ray or to Matthias, please just put a note um, on your check or on your donation or on the envelope um, that that's what you want it to go for and put it in the offering box at the back, and we will set that aside specifically um, to go to them um, to, to take care of that. Um, so on that note, as I say, as far as, as missions, um, we, you know, we've heard from Matthias, we've heard from, from the wards, um, we've got the Gideons coming up here on April 11th, and then um, I've also asked uh, Michael Hernandez, who does our local jail ministry, um, to come and speak with us um, here. I haven't gotten him scheduled yet, but um, we're, we're going to do this, and we're, we're just talking about um, getting us a lot more involved in missions, both here in town and, and worldwide. So um, please keep that in your prayers um, as we go forward. Um, we did take a break for Bible studies for, uh, for spring break, but we will be resuming those here at the church. Um, and uh, next week for, uh, for Easter, we conclude our 40 Days with, with Jesus series um, for that. Um, we do have a Good Friday worship service. We will be here at the church um, at 630, so please plan on attending that. And then for Easter, we will have a sunrise service out at the, the Berries, uh, which is, uh, I wrote it down here. Um, uh, sorry. It's, uh, I thought I had it written down. It's, it's 17 Road. It's 1553 17 Road um, is, their, is their address. Um, please, you know, ask me or see me or, uh, if you don't have it there. Um, but we will be there at uh, 7 o'clock um, for a sunrise service, and then we will have normal service on Easter um, at 1030. And then again, like I said, we have uh, the Gideons coming on, on April 11th. Then we have Secret Church on Friday, April 23rd. I think it'll be from 5 o'clock until um, usually like 11 o'clock or midnight. Um, it depends on, on how they take the breaks for it. Um, I will put out a sign-up sheet for that starting next week. 
um, we need to get the, the books ordered. So anyone who is interested in attending Secret Church, um, please keep that um, in the back of your mind. Um, April 25th, we will have our first annual um, barbecue cook-off. So we're going to be out at the Andrews uh, Ranch. Um, it was awesome for them to host, but um, we were trying to think of a way that we could get back to having potlucks and, and getting together, and we thought if we did that outside and um, we had a, you know, kind of a safe way to, to gather, that would be a good way to do it. Um, so I say, everyone, please uh, plan on, on coming. Um, you know, bring a, a side dish unless you're planning on uh, you know, competing in the, in the barbecue cook-off. Um, <laughs> Uh, and like, uh, we won't be cooking there, well, so we'll have to be ready to eat right after church. So um, whatever we bring, we'll have to be um, ready to serve like when we get out there, because I don't think anybody wants to, to wait around until 5 or 6 o'clock for me to figure out how to light a grill. Um, it's, not, it's not pretty. So <laughs> I say, um, just like I say, so if we can be planned to, ready to eat uh, when, we, when we get done with church. Um, like I say, uh, you know, like bring a bring a side or, or don't bring anything. Just just bring yourself. Um, but please plan on on coming. It's it's been a long time. I was reading through my notes from from last year, and we we did this last year remote. We didn't get to get together in person um, last year for this, and we were hoping. As in my notes, I, I put down. It was like, well, maybe a month from now, you know, things will be back to normal. <laughs> Apparently, I met twelve months or thirteen. I don't know, but. It is so good to see each and every one of you this morning, and um, I say it's, it's been a long time coming, so uh, I think it'll be great for us to get together and uh, get a chance to, uh, to celebrate. Speaking of celebrating, <laughs> I don't know if you know that there's a couple of birthdays that we have today. It's uh, Miss Anita and Mr. Jim's birthday, so would you guys mind if we, we sing to them real quick like? Oh, don't worry, I won't, I won't sing into the microphone. I, I'll sing. Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday Anita Jim, happy birthday to you. Okay, uh, please remember um, we have the Bibles at the back of the church. If you need a Bible, take one. If you know somebody that, that needs a Bible, please uh, take it to them. Um, and then also please remember that we have the, the library of our, of our resources there. Um, if there's anything that you guys want to study, it, it's really quite amazing. Um, also, please remember on your, on your bulletin, um, we have the, the handy-dandy tear-off tab. Um, if you have any prayer requests, um, if uh, you're not receiving, you know, communication from us, please fill that bad boy out, put it in the offering box at the back of the church, and we will um, get you onto the, the communication list for all of the stuff. Not that there's a ton that comes out, and you can find most of the stuff like on Facebook or um, the other ways, but um, it is nice for us to, to have that information. Um, I do have some, some sad news um, this morning. I don't know if you guys have heard, but Walt's brother passed away. Um, this last weekend. Um, so our, our hearts are just breaking for, for Walt and Naomi right now. And so if you guys don't mind, do you mind if we pray real quick like for them? Father, we just uh, we want to take a moment and lift up Walt and Naomi to you. They've been physically hurting. They've been physically recovering. And uh, now they've lost their dear, precious brother. And Father, my heart breaks for them. We seek to be your hands and feet, Father, that we could hold them and, and lift them up, but we also know that they need you, that they need your comfort, that they need your voice, that they need your light. And we just 
We're asking for that, Father, that you would draw near to them, that you would hold them up, that you would wrap them in your arms, that you would comfort them. And we ask all of that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the great physician. Amen. All right. So we are in um, uh, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. There's uh, parallel verses in uh, Mark chapter 11 or in, uh, in Luke chapter 19, uh, if that's your, your preference. But we'll, we'll jump right into here to, uh, to Matthew chapter 21. We're talking about Palm Sunday. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them, uh, send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. So as we've been doing, we'll have a little bit of a, of a history lesson, and then we're really going we're to take this verse and we're going to kind of turn it three times. We're going to look at it on three different faces uh, of the verse. In here, we're going to talk a lot about imagery. We're going to talk quite a bit about prophecy, um, which is uh, appropriate for this. And remember the idea, whenever we talk about prophecy, when we talk about these things, is I want you to feel the weight of it. I want you to, to grab it in your hands, to, to really feel it pressing down. Feel the expectation of the people. We need to understand how these prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus, not only because it, it gives us further proof that Jesus is the Messiah, but we need to carry that forward, that expectation, that anticipation of Jesus returning. See, when we proclaim the gospel, it, it should always have, and I've said this a million times, we should have a bias toward the return of Christ, toward the fulfillment of of this prophecy and the prophecies to come. That when we think about Daniel and Isaiah and Zechariah and Micah and Revelation, that when we proclaim the gospel, we should be proclaiming Christ as returning. And when we celebrate Christ, it should be with the idea of Christ's return heavy in our hearts, in our minds, and in our doctrine. I was thinking... A good example of this is, is the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. It's an amazing story. And she's an example we should follow, but there's a guy that, that we don't talk about. There's clearly, there was a guy, a priest in her synagogue, who did a really great job of communicating to her. And it's quite remarkable. If there's someone that I would like to emulate, it's her. Because... Jesus comes to the well, and you know she's drawing water. It's the middle of the day. It's not the right time, but they, they get together, and they have this whole exchange about, about drawing water. And you know he says, will you give me a drink? And she says, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then she says, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can I get this living water? 
Then she says something amazing. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She knows her history. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then she said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming down here to draw. It goes on, and he gives her some background about herself. He tells her about her history. In verse 19, she says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Then Jesus says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is remarkable. Verse 25, she says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Wow. This Samaritan woman knows her stuff. She knows it. And then Jesus gives her this amazing thing. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Somebody did their job. She knew her history. She knew her scripture. She knew to anticipate, to look for the Messiah as coming. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about having a bias. We should be like her, that we should have an expectation of the return of Christ. And here's the thing is that if we don't have that, if we don't understand Jesus as Messiah, if we don't understand that he is coming back, quite frankly, that responsibility falls on me. I have not done my job. So our goal for today is for the history and for the prophecy part of today is to have that expectation, is to build that in our minds that we have a bend, a bias, a, a trend toward the return of Christ. Now, we have a couple of application things, and we're going to do this where we're going to go through each part of the, the, the verse, and I'm going to put the application immediately after. I'm not going to save it for the end, but we will summarize that there. But we have a couple of goals for the application. We need to absorb how Jesus came, and we want to contrast that with his return. Because it is so vital that we seize the opportunity that God and Jesus are giving us now, because quite frankly it is, it's a limited time offer. We need to come away with an understanding of the precious opportunity that we have. We need to have urgency with the opportunity that we have, because it will not last. And quite frankly, we do not know when the opportunity ends. We also need to grab some joy, some celebration. It's incredible. I, I, I do this. I generally walk around kind of, you know, day to day in the worries, in the, in the mess of things. There's, the disciples say, great. They say, man, you know, so many times we wanted to celebrate. We wanted to, to let loose. I think about how many times they had 4,000, 5,000, 20,000 people gathered in a crowd. And each time, Jesus would, they would slip away. They would get on a boat. They would leave. They would, okay, no, no, no. Now is not the time. Not this time. This time, they let loose. No, we're going to sing. We're going to dance. We're going to celebrate. We should grab on to that. 
Put that into our hearts. Have some joy. Have a celebration. Because the thing is, week after week, I, I, I throw scripture after scripture at you and we, we chew through the word. But Easter is that time. Now is the time for us to pull out all of the stops, to wear the nice clothes, to, to polish the, the silverware, to fix the fancy meal, to spend the whole day from sunrise to sunset celebrating with your friends and family. This is it. So next Sunday, let's go for it. All right, so let's dive in. So the first part of our, our history, we call this Palm Sunday. And remember, I gave you a timeline a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about you know, Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, and then we had Silent Wednesday. I'm going to give you an alternate to that. Um, John MacArthur and, and uh, David Platt both believe that this triumphal entry actually happened on Monday, not on Sunday. And they give a little bit of, of, a, of, of reason for that. The first one being that if it was on Monday, which would have been the 10th, remember that Passover is, is on the 14th. If it would happened on Monday, that fulfills a couple of prophecies. Um, and we can look at, if we go back to John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, that's the day before. That's where Jesus was anointed at Bethany. So normally we say, okay, well, Saturday they arrive in Bethany. Um, but that means something. It means that they traveled on, on the Sabbath which would not have been tradition. Normally, you would have rested on the Sabbath. You would have landed someplace on Friday night. You would have stayed until at least Saturday night, if not until Sunday morning, um, because of, of the Sabbath. You were to do no work, and you could only travel, I think, within like 10 miles of your home um, to visit, visit friends and family. That would have been about the maximum allowed um, by law. So for them to have been on the road traveling and then come in and have the dinner would have been a little bit off. So... It, it could be possible they arrived on, on Friday, worshipped on the Sabbath, and then, and then did this on Sunday. Or it could have been that they were traveling on Sunday, and then the, they, this arrival happened on Monday. Um, and that's you know, one of the things that we can, we can chew on that. But that being on the 10th is important, because if we were to flip over to Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, that 10th is the day normally when, when the, the lambs would have been selected when they would have been gone through by the priests and picked out for the Passover meal the coming week. So that coincides with him coming into the city, that God's lamb had entered the city on that day while the lambs were being chosen. And as we know in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 136, that's what it says is that Jesus is God's chosen lamb. And that timing also fulfills Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, which is the 77s. It doesn't change the fact whether that was Sunday or whether it was Monday. Between Jesus arriving with the Palm Sunday and then with him driving out the money changers and the lenders and the vendors the following day, it makes Passover radically different than it had been in years past. Suddenly, the Gentile courts, the outer part of the, the temple was open. They were open to everyone. All the, the hustle and bustle, remember they were even bringing caravans through the outer courts of the temple. All that has stopped. This Passover is going to be unlike any Passover that most of these people have seen in their entire lives. All the, the stuff has changed. All the commerce, all of the, the money changing has stopped. Could you imagine if you're a because remember, the, the outer courts, the Gentile courts, it's the only place that the Gentiles could go. And Gentiles were required 
Passover is the one celebration Gentiles were required to celebrate. And finally, you could go in there in peace. And then Jesus does something remarkable. He stays in the Gentile courts teaching and healing. So everyone had access to him in those courts for those final days. But amongst all of that, we have these probably 250,000 lambs that were going to be slaughtered coming up. Remember, you needed like one lamb for like 10 people. And every adult male within 15 miles had to come, but people came from all over, probably over 2 million people in the outer proper of Jerusalem. So, why the donkey? (laughs) It's one of the most, it grabs your attention, doesn't it? Why do we go and steal a donkey for this? It's kind of a bizarre statement. When we read this in abstract, if you know, we were walking down the street and we saw 13, 14 people in a line on a procession with a dude riding a donkey, it would certainly get our attention. It was, it was no different in this case. But it's important. Again, we're talking about prophecy and we're also talking about purpose. So Jesus gives us exact details and he gives exact details to the disciples. He tells them exactly where to go and exactly what they would find when they get there. And the people that own these donkeys are, are clearly their believers because when they ask, he says, oh, the Lord needs it. They're like, yeah, okay, no problem. I don't know about you guys, but if you walked up to me and were like, hey, Phil, can I borrow your motorcycle? <clears throat> uh, we'd have to, you know, maybe review your driver's license, uh, history a little bit, uh, have a little conversation before. <laughs> I'm, not saying, I'm, I'm not saying no, I'm not saying a hard pass, but uh, we definitely want to have a conversation. But these folks are saying, no, if the Lord needs it, take it. So he grabs on to this donkey, and it fulfills some things. If we were to go and we were to look at both David and Solomon, they both rode mules. Solomon rode one to his coronation. We can read that about that in, um, in 1 Kings one thirty three. It also fulfills Zechariah 9.9. It says, as they enter Jerusalem, um, uh, th- that part right there says, they lay their cloaks and their palm branches on the road. They shout, Hosanna, save us, Zechariah 9.9. And that part, the gestures, the clapping, the waving, the branches, all of that, it comes from, from Psalm 18, verses 25 through 26. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Second Kings 9, 13, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under on the bare steps. They blew the trumpet and shouted, Yehu is king. Even in... Um, I didn't put it in your message map, but in 1 Maccabees 13.51, it says, on the 23rd day of the second month in 171st year, the Jews entered it with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. John MacArthur calls this the false ordination of the true king. Because the thing is, what's going to happen? towards the end of the week. These very same people are going to melt into the crowd. They're going to, some of them are going to call for Jesus' crucifixion. The same people who are shouting Hosanna, same people who are waving the palm branches and throwing their their blankets down on the ground for him to walk on are going to, to turn against him. But again, the question is, do you feel the weight? Do you feel the weight of the expectation? Do you feel the weight of these prophecies 
And Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy, and he is taking all of the steps because the time is right. But for us, we talk about application. We need to think about how can we not be like most of the people in this crowd who in just a few short days would turn? How do we set our expectation that we can celebrate as we should celebrate the true king, the coming of the king, finally the coming of the king, and not have it fade away in such a short amount of time? Because there's something that's very, very true in the Christian life. We suffer tragedies, don't we? Bad things happen. And God's kingdom, it's here, it's among us right now, but man, it certainly doesn't always look like the way that we want it to, does it? There's a lot of pain, there's a lot of... Reading about Myanmar right now, the military in six different cities went through and killed over 100 people. If you're a Christian there right now, how do you celebrate Palm Sunday? How do you look at that and say, yes, the, the kingdom of God is at hand? How do you lift up your voice and sing Hosanna mix all of that? Because the thing is that what the, the Jews at this time were expecting, they were expecting for Jesus to continue, especially after he had driven out the money changers and the lenders in the temple. That should have been the first step. He should have broadened it out, gathered the army, started to remove the Romans, start with Jerusalem, cleanse the temple. Let's get this thing going. They wanted political revolution. They wanted to finally be free, politically free. What they didn't want was individual salvation. What they didn't want was to have to face their own sins, to have to face their own lives, to have a personal Savior who said, I I, I came for you. I didn't come for your politics. I didn't come for your city. I didn't come for your nation. I came for you. Now let's have a conversation about that. And suddenly they wanted to turn away. At the same time as Jesus is making this entry, remember that the Pilate is doing the same thing. He's marching into the city also. Pilate usually lived down by the coast, but every Passover he would make the, the habit, he would gather together his cohort, his soldiers, and they would make a military parade. They would march into the city. Remember that there's a a guard station. I didn't put the picture up, but they built this tower that actually looked down over the courts of the temple. And he would march through the city with this army. And he would make this big show of it. And then he would take up residence at that tower, which is why he's in town for, for the trial of Jesus. But such a contrast between the two armies. Think about all those Roman soldiers with their armor polished, with their spears up, ready to keep the peace because there are two and a half million Jews in this place. And that's really the only thing that Pilate has to do. He just has to keep the peace. If he wants to keep his job, if he wants to keep his power, every Passover has to go off like clockwork. The Jews can come in, they can celebrate, they do their thing, and then they go away. It just has to be peace. But we contrast those, that parade of Roman soldiers with this ragtag group of, of 12 people with Jesus coming through with the ladies with them and all that coming in. <laughs> Nothing fancy, no fancy robes, no horns blowing, except for the people. The people celebrate them. Incredible. But I want to contrast that. What if Jesus had ridden, ridden in differently? What if instead he came on a war horse? What if instead he did get out the armor, that he polished it up, that he did have the flaming sword of truth? on his side, that he did have the shield and the helmet on? 
What if he did dress up the army and the angels came in behind him? That's a very different picture, isn't it? See, there's a reason why our president doesn't wear a military uniform. It's because he's sending a message to everyone that he comes in peace. Whenever he goes to foreign leaders, he sends a message. I am coming in peace. In contrast, that think about when you look at other, other rulers that wear their uniforms to their, their international meetings or when they're presenting themselves to the public. We do that very much so on purpose. And Jesus is making a strong statement. I come in peace. Yes, I am the rightful king. Yes, I am the Lord of lords. Yes, I am the king of kings. But I come in peace. And that's a message just to Jerusalem. Yes, remember, in just a few days, he's going to be talking with the disciples. He's going to say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, how I have longed to take you into my arms, but you would not have me. He says the same thing to you. He says, oh, how I have longed to take you in my arms. I come in peace, please. We read the parable just a few pages back where he says, when you see the king coming far away, Go out, send your emissary now. Make peace with them now, for you will not stand in the battle. That's exactly how he's coming here. When we see him coming a ways off, we should put down our arms, send out our emissary, make peace now while we have time. Remember our bend. Because if we go over to Revelation chapter 19, it's not the same, is it? So, Jesus rides in to this parade, and then the next day he goes to the temple and he drives out the merchants and the money changers. And you have to remember that the religious leaders at this time, they're walking the line because Jesus is popular. There's a lot of people who have seen him, heard him, been healed by him. He's healed thousands of people. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. So they have to walk a line between the crowd that believes in Jesus and, and, and it's admire him at the minimum, and also keeping their power. So they want to keep the peace too. So while Jesus is teaching in the temple, they go and they, they try and challenge him. In front of all the people, they try and get him to stumble. And that's the part where Jesus has this exchange with them. He's like, oh, well, you know, by whose authority did, did John the Baptist baptize? By whose authority was that? Was it by God's authority? Or, you know, was it his own authority? And they can't answer. So that's when Jesus says, well, then neither will I answer you by whose authority I act. So when that doesn't work, when they can't stumble him in front of the crowd, what do they do? They go and they bribe Judas. They're like, all right, well, if we're going to do this, we can't get him in the temple courts. We're going to have to do it away from the temple courts. And Judas is looking for the same thing. He's looking for his payout and a way to get out. So those guys get together and they decide on their price. And Judas says, no, no, I'll get him away from the crowd. You just wait. I'll let you know when he's, where he's going to be and when he's going to be there, and I'll identify him by giving him a kiss. But those religious leaders and Pilate, the Romans, they all want one thing, and that is to keep their power. We're no different. The reason that we resist Jesus, the reason that we don't make peace is because we want our power. We want our control. We don't want to submit to the authority of the true king. We want to hold on to the feigned grasp of what we think we have in this world, even though it's slipping through our hands. The other thing is, remember that all of these things, they're all Jesus' subjects, all of them. We cast the, the Romans and we cast the, the religious leaders as the bad guys in this story, 
And they are the ones that lead the charge to kill our, our Jesus. But he loves them just as much as he loves each and every one of us. All of them are under his authority. All of them are his subjects. Think about the obedience of the, the money changers and the lenders when he drives them out. All of them are subject to his power and his authority. And the thing is that a king who beats his subjects is just a tyrant. And Jesus is not a tyrant. So he does not beat even those who oppose him. And again, remember that this is the opportunity that we have now. And it's going to change. If we go over to, to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, Jesus is no longer riding in on a donkey. He's no longer riding in lowly and unarmed and unarmored. Instead, he is riding in. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when he comes back, it's not going to be the same. Then it's going to be too late. Either we are on his side or we are not. But we have to remember that what is his kingdom? It's, it's everything. There is nothing that we see or that we experience that is not within his kingdom. And who are his subjects? Everyone. Everyone are his subjects. The Romans, the Jews, the Gentiles, even the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So he receives a pilgrim's greeting, a, a traveler's greeting, but they have expectation. They say, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Save now. Save us now. And how did he answer? He said, yes. It just didn't look the way that they wanted it to. Because he drives out the people from the temple. Then he goes to healing and to teaching, not to driving the Romans from the city. And he doesn't like coronate a high priest and he doesn't gather an army and start a revolution. See, we long for this day. We long for when Jesus comes back. And each of us has an expectation of what it's going to be like. How do we react when Jesus instead says, I came for you. You have to take me as Lord and Savior. You have to have faith. N.T. Wright says this beautifully. He says, once you invite Jesus to help, once you cry out Hosanna, he will do so more thoroughly than you imagined, more deeply than perhaps you wanted. Two examples from Scripture. Think about the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, he cries out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. What must I do to gain eternal salvation? He goes away disappointed. He's not willing to make peace with the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not willing to give up his power, and he goes away disappointed. In comparison, look at the prodigal son who was stripped of everything, and he came running back 
left it all behind and was lavishly redeemed. We can beat this dead horse. Think about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Think about all the people that were healed. Think about all the religious leaders that were rebuked. Think about God crying down with a voice from heaven. All these people, the disciples, everyone, they're all hoping, they're all praying that things are about to change for the good. But each of them has an expectation of what that's going to look like, whether it's the Romans cast out or Jerusalem restored or the remnant returned or maybe Herod and Caesar punished for their crimes. But we're not thinking about what those Romans who were also children of God because maybe they just want to go home. Maybe they just want the Jews to stop rebelling, to get with the program. The Romans have brought roads and food and water and commerce. All of these things, the benefits they have received because of the empire. Why can't they just get along? Why can't they just get with the program? What if you're an Ethiopian slave? A lot of the Jewish folk held slaves. Maybe you just want to be made whole. Maybe you want to go home. Maybe you want to see your family. Or maybe you just want to be treated as a human. These are God's chosen people. If so, I really don't want anything to do with them, quite frankly. They keep slaves just like the the Romans do. See, in all of our human conflicts, there's always collateral damage. We were... Gavin and I recently, we were watching Batman versus Superman. And it's funny, I, I, watching the movie, that is the theme of the movie, is collateral damage. Is Batman, right, who is, goes above and beyond the law, he's above the law, to go out and catch the bad guys. That's what he does. Superman, mm-mm, sick and tired of it. No one should be above the law. Batman looks in Superman. He had this big fight with General Zod in the, in the first movie thousands of people died. It was like a 9-11 viewing that they they put in there. Bruce Wayne owned a building in in Metropolis, and he watched this building fall with a bunch of his employees inside of it. All of them, heartbroken. Why? Because of the collateral damage in the fight. And that's the thing. If, If Jesus had come in and had picked a side in this fight, had decided that these guys were the good guys and these guys were the bad guys... Some of his children, some of his people would have been cast as the bad guys. Some of his subjects would have had to have been beaten. You see how the cross makes it universal. It's for all of us, not just for one nation or for one people or for one tribe, but for all people in this one place. Think about every war, whether it's the war for for independence. We always talk about the Americans, the colonists, they're the good guys, right? But what if you were born in England and your son was conscripted, was drafted into the army? He had no choice but to go in to serve and to fight. Was he evil? Did he deserve to die at the hands of the Americans? Or was he just a a young man who was doing his duty? See, That crowd met Jesus with man-centered expectations. And their cry that Hosanna save now was not a cry for personal salvation, but for war, for political revolution. And we long for this day when Jesus comes back. And each of us has an expectation of what it's going to be like. But we cannot take a man-centered 
or a self-centered view of Christianity. Our expectations of God must be God-centered and consistent with God's character and God's attributes. The change we are looking for in the world is repentance, the getting on the correct course in our own hearts, because that's where the war is. That's where the revolution is. So why the show? Why the parade? It's amazing how this, how multifaceted this little verse is and how it speaks to so many different people. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And when he's fulfilling all these prophecies, we've listed out a bunch of verses. He's doing what prophets have done in the past. If we were to flip over to, we did this a couple weeks ago, 1 Kings 18, when Elijah and the, the priests of Baal have their, their little showdown. Prophets are not above making a public show, but remember that Jesus is speaking not only with his words, but with his actions. And that display, that parade, the cheers, the celebration fulfills those prophecies, and it also speaks to us, speaks to us down through the ages. Everything, his clothes, were they fancy? No. Did he come with an army? No. Was he wealthy? No. Was he powerful? Yeah. Influential? Sort of, to some people. But the blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, people are raised from the dead. Think about how many people were touched. The Roman centurion, the Samaritan woman at the well, the the fishermen, the tax collectors, the zealots, the Jews, all of them touched by his actions. And did he define it by race? No. Did he define his kingdom by religion? No. Did he define it by faith? Yes, absolutely he did. But by wealth? No. But by power? No. Jesus rejected, intentionally rejected, all of the things that we want him to reject, quite frankly. Then he asks for obedience. He says, do the will of my Father. See, Jesus loves all of them. All of the people that we cast as a bad guy, he loves all of them. And he will not be thwarted in his purpose, and he will not share his glory. Make no mistake, he staked his claim right there. He drew a line in the sand. In this humble yet magnificent parade, Jesus made it clear prophecy was fulfilled. The rightful king entered the city. The Messiah, the high priest, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He came meekly. He came humbly. He came peacefully. But he came. And in the strength of love, he comes to each of us in the same way, meekly and humbly and peacefully. But we cannot make a mistake about who Jesus is. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So we'll wrap this up. We've got some Spurgeon. I love some Spurgeon. It says, The poorest man who loves Christ or the humblest woman who is willing to accept him as her teacher becomes at once one of the nobility that wait upon Christ Jesus. What a kingdom is this which makes fishermen nobles and peasants princes. 
while they remain but fishermen and peasants still. This is the kingdom of which we speak, in which discipleship is the highest degree, in which service is the patent of nobility. See, the Christian is an odd creature. We choose to be ruled. We choose to serve. We know that we have ultimate freedom, and we are willing to cage our desires in order to serve our king and those around us. Because Christ's kingdom is, is the only kingdom without taxation. It is made entirely of the free will gifts of the people who choose to serve. And in this passage, we get a foretaste of the kingdom of God. There was praise, there was joy, no sorrow. No, yeah, there were broken expectations. But no soldiers lost, no waste, no fraud, no abuse, no theft. We look forward to a time when we live in a society where people just do the right thing. I mean, this is an idea we're absolutely alien to because every battle that we know of, they're won at a cost. But Jesus, he paid the price to defeat death. And there were no widows, no gold star families, no orphans. It's more Spurgeon. It says, Ah, brethren, but in those triumphs, how many tears there are that are hidden. There is a woman who hears the sound of the bells for victory, and she says, Ah, victory indeed, but I am a widow and my little ones are orphans. And from the balconies where beauty looks down and smiles, there may be a forgetfulness for the moments of friends and kindred over whom they will soon have to weep. For every battle is with blood, and every conquest is with woe, and every shout of victory has in it weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Every sound of the trumpet because the battle is obtained, does but cover the cries, the sorrows, and the deep agonies of those who have been bereaved of their kinsfolk. But in your triumph, Yesu, Jesus, there were no tears. When the little children cried Hosanna, they had not lost their fathers in battle. When the men and women shouted, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, they had no cause to shout with bated breath or to mar their joys with the remembrance of misery. No, in his kingdom, there is unalloyed, unmingled joy. Shout, shout you that are subjects of the King Jesus. Sorrows you may have, but not from him. Troubles may come to you because you are in the world, but they come not from him. His service is perfect liberty. His ways are ways of pleasantness, and all his paths are peace. Next week when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate that death was conquered that there is healing, that the temple was restored in each of us, where the Holy of Holies is inside of our hearts. And this is our message, the message to the believers of the church, that Jesus peacefully, humbly, meekly, but with all power and authority confronted the people of Jerusalem, took on our sins, and defeated death. And there was no coercion, there was no lies, there was no manipulation, and no force. And if there is something pure, if there is something untainted, something not corrupt to celebrate, this is it. If there is a reason to unleash your worship, your joy, and to shout, to run, to laugh, to sing, this is it. The good guys won. There is victory over the one thing we all fear. And there were no casualties, no veterans, no scars, no burned out towns, no cities or villages. 
for once we aren't looking out over the smoke of the battlefield and tasting victory as bittersweet. We haven't paid for freedom and blood and sweat and tears and treasure because Jesus paid it all. No. People saw Jesus and they see Jesus and they have to decide what to make of him. And this is the mission of the church, to show people Jesus and then let them decide. And maybe that's the kind of revolution that at least that I have been, maybe that you have been looking for. Amen? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your church. Thank you for your word. Father, we have a week coming up, and we know that so many of our brothers and sisters are hurting. Please help us to reach them, to hear them, to see them. Please help us to spread your word, spread your kindness, spread your love to everyone that we meet. Father, please help us to set aside our, our selfish desires and our selfish wants and our, all the things that put barriers between you and us. Father, so many times that we cling tightly to our, to our power, that we want so much to have control instead of surrendering to your will. Father, please help us to lay our weapons down and to make peace with you. Father, please be with each and every one of our children. Bless them and guide them. Let them hear your name. Be the light to their feet. And Father, if, if any of them are hurting, if any of them are suffering, if please let us see them and hear them and talk to them and let the light of hope shine in their lives that they would know that there are good things to come, that there are pure things, that there are right things that they can cling to. Father, please be with our valley as we move into springtime and as we have uncertainty and, and fear still that we would see you and cling on to you, that we would grab onto your word, that we would grab onto your hope. Father, please help us to have a heart to celebrate, have a heart of joy, that we could rejoice in the good things that you have given us. Father, we ask all of this in the loving name of your Son, who spared nothing for us. Amen.